Welcome to Vancouver Opera Offstage. I'm your host, Les Dalla, Chorus Director and Associate Conductor at Vancouver Opera. Join me for this bi-weekly podcast as we connect with opera experts, artists, staff, and others to explore the world of opera on and off the stage. We are honored to share our stories on the unceded homelands of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Good afternoon, and welcome to the podcast. Today, in this holiday special, I'll be sharing some music recorded specifically for this episode. Inspired by Minotti retracing his childhood memories of Christmas in a mall and the night visitors, I will perform for you some solo piano music by Hungarian composers inspired by Christmas carols. Today, I have as my guest, my friend and colleague, Vincent Wong, who has been my partner in crime on these podcasts. Today is, I guess, our 22nd episode together, Vincent, and we started this enterprise together in April, so we've been doing it for eight months. And as I keep telling everybody, you're the real wizard on this show. You make everything seem so natural and everybody sounds so articulate with no ums or ahs as you're constantly editing things so that it's a crystallized version of the conversations we have. So I'm so pleased to welcome you, Vincent, to the podcast today. Thank you so much. Great to be on the show. It's always great to work with you. And really, I just so appreciate your expertise. I would not be able to do this on my own. I can tell you that you are a technical wizard. So I thank you for all the work that you've done over the last eight months. And also, you were the first person I kind of pitched this specific idea to, and you were really positive about it. So I thought, okay, then I'll see if Tom Wright's interested and the senior leadership team, and they all seem to think it was a really nice idea. So I'm, I'm really grateful to you for your support on that. And it's been fantastic fun working with you as well. That's well, many, many thanks. And we'll continue to do this in the new year. We have some great guests in coming months, some really well-known and well-loved artists. So look forward to those conversations as well. As I mentioned at the start, the premise for this was basically a mall of the night visitors, which of course, like music directed and worked on with my son, Andreas. And it was a happy trigger when I knew that a year ago, when I worked on the piece previously, that Minotti was inspired by childhood memories from Italy and what Christmas traditions he grew up with, which were very different from what he experienced when he was living in America. And although I grew up in Toronto, I was the son of Hungarian refugees, and we had a very traditional upbringing where we celebrated Christmas on Christmas Eve. And for my parents, the miracle of Christmas was done by the angels. So in Minotti's case, for the Italians, it was the three kings who brought presents. And for us as kids, it was the angels who brought presents. So it wasn't Santa Claus. And of course, growing up in Toronto, which was like Santa Claus everywhere, I remember always being very confused <laughs> about what Christmas was. But along with that was some incredible music. And so I was very aware that some of the greatest Hungarian composers, namely Liszt, Bartok, and Dohnányi, all composed solo piano music based on carols. And I thought, oh, I really would love to play these and to share these because this is something I suspect most people, even a lot of pianists, don't know this repertoire. And so I was very lucky to get to go into Monarch Studios a couple of weeks ago and lay down a bunch of tracks. And so that's what I'm sharing with our listeners today. So shall we just get started? Absolutely. So the first set of selections is by none other than the very famous composer pianist Franz Liszt, who, of course, was the equivalent of a rock star in the 19th century as somebody who took piano playing technique to the ultimate limit. He was inspired by Niccolo Paganini, the violinist who did the same for the violin. And Liszt to me is one of the most interesting figures in musical history, not only as a composer and as a pianist, but as somebody who basically 
knew most of the great artists of his century and was friends with them. So people like Schumann, Chopin, Mendelssohn, of people who were born around the same time he was, and then a much younger generation of people like Grieg, Sibelius, Borodin, all flocked to work with Liszt. And in his older age as well, he taught piano for 20 or 30 years, absolutely for free. He never accepted a penny and influenced then the next, basically, well, up until modern times, piano playing, because all of his great students who were great virtuosos then went back to America or back to Russia or back to wherever else, and then continued this lineage of Liszt pupils. So to me, he's an absolutely fascinating individual. He wrote actually quite a lot of music. I would say probably most classical music theorists would say that it's not all music of the same caliber, which is why he's not spoken of as one of the you know top 10. He would often write something in a day and not think much of it. In the case of Johannes Brahms, Brahms threw out so much of his music that he didn't think was up to snuff. Apparently, he threw two entire string quartets into the fireplace. Liszt wasn't like that. He wasn't worried about posterity in that sense. So he would write things for occasions and just kind of put it out there. Nonetheless, his music really changed from the music he wrote as a young man, which was all virtuoso driven and all technique, to his middle period where he became much more introspective, where he really wrote some of the most sensational music. For example, his sonata in B minor is still considered the greatest sonata written after Beethoven for solo piano. And into his last stage, his older years, where he really started to write music that bordered on atonality. And he really was one of the precursors of the music of, say, people like Arnold Schoenberg and Alban Berg and that sort of school of music. He was always experimenting. And what I find extraordinary is that the older he got, the less notes were in his music, and it became really just much more suggestive. This set of pieces called the Christmas Tree Suite, the Weihnachtsbaum, of course, in German, and Liszt spoke German, French, not Hungarian. He was born in Hungary, but he was never surrounded by Hungarian speakers. So in his old age, he actually hired a monk to teach him, but he found it too difficult and eventually gave up. But nonetheless, these are really beautiful pieces. There's a total of 12 pieces in this set, and I selected seven from them, which you're going to hear. And some of them are very obviously based on Christmas carols. For example, the first one is in Dulce Jubilo, which is a well-known Latin carol. The subtitle is Shepherds at the Manger. And again, it's that kind of pastoral piece. Of course, in Amal and the Night Visitors, the whole thing is pastoral. It's about shepherds who are visited by the Magi. So I thought, perfect way to start. We're starting with the shepherds. Then we go to a setting of the Adeste Fideles, O Camoli Faithful, which is built into this piece, which is actually entitled The March of the Three Holy Kings. So we get the three kings from them all in a way represented in Liszt's version. And again, it starts off with this march, which has nothing to do with the carol. And then suddenly he embeds the carol Adeste Fideles in it. So I thought that's really perfect. The next one we'll hear is the Glockenspiel, which is the sound of carillon bells. And if one has ever been to Europe or lived in Europe, it's the one thing you know that is very different from North America is any day of the week, you're going to be woken up starting at 6 a.m. by the sound of church bells. And it's the most beautiful sound, actually. So this particular piece, although not based on any traditional Christmas carol, is meant to evoke that ringing of bells and that absolutely joyous occasion. The next thing we get is a slumber song, the Schlummerlied. And again, it's a very beautiful lullaby that one would sing to a child, which is followed by the old Provençal Christmas song. So a lot of people, I've seen this on Facebook a lot too, people saying, why is it that the French always have the best Christmas carols? And it's true, they really do some of those tunes which we've adapted. Really, the most celebrated ones tend to be French. 
And this is one that I think people won't recognize. It's not a tune that I knew previously, but it's a great, very traditional sounding piece. From then we go into evening bells, which are very different from the glockenspiel movement before. This becomes, again, a little more sparse, a little bit more evocative, a little bit more dreamy. Again, here you hear how Liszt led sort of to Debussy and that kind of writing as well. And the last one, which has many different translations in Ehemals in the original, has been translated in days gone by, old times, long ago. I chose to call it Once Upon a Time and all this to suggest this looking back. And I find that piece for me when I first started reading through it is just so beautiful. It feels like a Chopin nocturne. And of course, Liszt and Chopin were good friends. Chopin dedicated his first set of etudes to Liszt and once said in a letter, he was with Liszt in a room and he said, I now have the joy of hearing Franz Liszt play this, the only person alive who could do justice to this music. I can't remember who the letter was to, but you know, obviously they have tremendous respect for each other. And that piece made me think of, again, the more intimate side of Chopin. So these pieces are very rarely played in concert. And one of the most beautiful things was Liszt wrote these as a gift to his first grandchild. So here you have seven pieces from Franz Liszt's Christmas Tree Suite.
I hope you enjoyed those pieces of Franz Liszt from the Christmas Tree Suite. Again, those were seven of 12 selections in the original, written in 1873. Strangely enough, they were not published until a decade later. What did you think, Vincent? You like the music? Oh, I thought it was delightful. It's always wonderful hearing you play. And I really hope that people are going to tune into our podcast over the holidays, maybe enjoy it while they're having their Christmas dinner or spending some good time with family and some beautiful music in the background. It's kind of what I was hoping to, that people can be wrapping presents or sitting by the fire or having their favorite beverage and just listening to something. And again, it is Christmas music, but not music that a lot of people are familiar with. I agree. I think it's so beautiful. And again, for people who only know Liszt as the composer of things like the piano concertos or the Hungarian rhapsodies, this would come as a total surprise. I think if you played any one of those pieces, people would be hard pressed to guess that they were composed by Liszt unless they're really familiar with his entire output. And I think it's actually really nice to have something that's not as common for people to enjoy, particularly this Christmas, while people are socially distanced and not allowed to gather. Agreed. Yeah. To have something special to listen to that is a treat. It is certainly one of my favorite things of being a musician is constantly discovering new things. There's so much music that's been written over the centuries. And even if we spend our lives doing it, we still feel like we've only touched the tip of the iceberg. So we're going to go from List to Bela Bartok, who, again, I would say if people were to rank the most important or well-known Hungarian composers, List and Bartok would be at the top for sure. Interestingly enough, Bartok was a professor of music at the List Academy after that was established. And although he's best known as a composer, he didn't teach composition, he taught piano and theory. And he really believed that you couldn't teach composition, that if one had a voice, they would find it on their own, which is, I think, a really interesting kind of thing. He also was somebody who didn't believe in competitions for performers or for composers. He felt that that was something more sports-like that had no business in the world of arts. And one of the things that he was also incredibly dedicated to was what we would now call ethnomusicology. So he went out and traveled through most of Eastern Europe and even North Africa to collect traditional music from people of villages of different ethnic backgrounds. So we have to remember Bartok was born in 1881, died in 1945. He did most of his collection in the early part of the 20th century. So this was while the Austrian-Hungarian Empire existed. So the map of Europe looked very, very different than it did after the First World War and again after the Second World War. So at that time, Hungary was made up of a large population of Hungarians, Slovaks, and Romanians. The various nationalities were living under one big roof. And so Bartok, as early as 1909, was scouring villages, went from village to village and using the technology of his day, basically recording people singing and dancing using wax cylinders. And then would go back and notate some of this music and print it and publish it. And sometimes he would use this as the basis for his own composition. So one of Bartok's most famous pieces is actually his Romanian folk dances. Now, these are not those pieces. There are six of those which have been adapted and reorchestrated and arranged for virtually every ensemble you can imagine. These are less well-known, and these are actually based on traditional Romanian Christmas carols. Now, the truth of it is that although these pieces were performed at Christmas time, often they're not actually even about Christmas. Often they're historical tales of great battles or things that are heroic deeds or other myths and folk tales and that sort of thing. But the tradition was that a group of young men would get together and go from house to house and sing these carols. And often they'd get invited in for a drink. 
And then after they had a drink, they'd go to the next house. So probably by the time they'd been to five houses, they were in a pretty good mood. And, you know, I'm sure the quality of the singing had changed. I'm not saying it got better or got worse, but it would be a little bit different. So Bartok collected probably dozens and dozens of these pieces, and he decided to turn them into his own piece. So these are a kind of transcription slash arrangement. And there are 20 of them arranged in two sets of 10 pieces each, but they're extremely short. I think the shortest one is about 13 seconds long, and the longest one is maybe about a minute. So the two sets together are just over 11 minutes of music. And I just love these pieces. You can feel the earthiness of the folk music of these people in villages that have kept their traditions alive for centuries. And I really feel that that aspect of it is communicated so directly through the music. Very different stylistically from the list, but very joyous. Some of them are very mysterious. One of the things that Bartok is famous for as well were pieces that he called in Bulgarian rhythm. And that has to do with this kind of fluctuating rhythm of one, two, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, one, two, three. And you find that in some of these pieces where he plays with that. Now, that's his own treatment of that. It's unlikely that the originals were that highly rhythmic. But because of the fact that these were not dances like the Romanian dances, which were in a kind of strict rhythm, he could play around with that. So you see that with these melodies. And another thing that's really interesting about the writing is that often the accompaniment is just taken from the melodies, which are not really tonal. They kind of fall into this category of both modal, uh, but also these scales that are particular to Romanian music. It's a very interesting mixture of, again, this tonality and this freedom of rhythm. So I thought this would be a great thing to include. And again, remembering that they are Christmas pieces because he called them that, and these were sung at Christmas time. But the subject of the pieces is not always Christmas theme. Having said that, I think we're going to play the two sets back to back because they really are so short. So these are the Romanian Christmas carols composed by Bela Bartok, published in 1915.
So Vincent, while we were listening to those pieces, you told me about a childhood memory of your own relating to bar chalk. I would love for you to share that with our listeners. Well, a lot of people don't know that I used to be a classical violinist. And so in my youth, I actually remembered having to learn and play the Romanian dances for a competition. I forget which one it was, something in North Shore, Guanas, or something like that. It's such an interesting and playful piece, too. So I love that you chose some great music from Bartok for this selection. Sweet. Yeah, I quite love those pieces. And uh, the last selection, for me, I have to admit personally, is the one that's dearest to my heart because I did not know this piece even existed until about a couple of months ago when I was just doing a sort of random Google search and I came across it. And I found the music on IMSLP and printed it off right away and just sat down and played through it. And I had tears in my eyes by the end of it because this last piece is by Ernu Dochnani, who is not as well known as Liszt or Bartok. Certainly, if you were to include a third Hungarian composer, that would have to be Zoltan Kodai. Kodai, like Bartok, was an ethnomusicologist and they collected together music from all over Eastern Europe. He wrote a lot less piano music, wrote a lot of choral music, was responsible for the Kodai method, which people use in solfege. But Dochnani was a colleague of both of them. They were all contemporaries and they all worked at the Liszt Academy in the early 20th century. And actually, one of the craziest stories is that Dochnani was made artistic director of the Liszt Academy or the Hungarian National Academy of Music, as it was called in those days. But he resigned because the new political regime wanted him to fire Kodai, and he refused to do it. And this is literally, we're talking 1919 when that happened. It was the short-lived Hungarian Soviet Republic. And of course, if we look back at that time of history, it was just such a tumultuous period with the war just ending. Of course, they had the Spanish flu of that year, you know, exactly 100 years ago, basically. I mean, we think we've got it hard now, but what people lived through the horror of that First World War, the extreme poverty, and then this flu, which wiped out a huge percentage of the population. And through all this time, there was still art going on. And I often am amazed that it's at the most perilous times that some of the most important artists created. So anyways, Dochnani, who's also German, and he's known as Ernst von Dochnani as well, but the Hungarians claim him as Ernő. Again, all to say that in those days to the Austrian-Hungarian Empire, there were so many people of different cultures living together under that one big roof. And Dochnani was a composer, a conductor, and a very fine pianist himself. And as many people at those times wore more than one hat. And again, a very happy coincidence, but I just think it's such a beautiful one, is that piece we're about to hear, his Pastorale, was written exactly 100 years ago. He wrote it at Christmas time in 1920 and premiered it himself on December 27th of 1920, I think for a private concert. And what I find so poignant for me is that, so a Pastorale is basically, again, this evocation of shepherd's music. And you hear it right from the beginning with these bass notes, these drones of these perfect fifths that go up and down the keyboard, which again is meant to sound like bagpipes or something very traditional from, you know, music of the hills of shepherds. And then you hear in the opening, this really beautiful melody in the top, which would be like a flute or uh, some kind of recorder. So again, suggesting that sort of very pastoral setting. And about a minute into it, the theme that he uses is based on a traditional Hungarian Christmas carol called Menybül az Angyal, which means the angel from heaven came. And we used to sing this around the Christmas tree in my house. Hungarian was the first language I learned, and it was basically all we spoke at home. And I just have very vivid memories of how we would hold hands and sing this as a family around the tree. And of course, the church services, this was always the first hymn that would be played on Christmas Eve. 
I think it's really one of the most beautiful Christmas carols, just the music alone and the harmonies of it, I find so poignant. And so when I found this piece, I just was like, this was what tied it in for me with Minotti and then expanding it to Liszt and Bartok. But it was the Dokhnani that was the real kind of discovery and the inspiration for this. So I hope people will enjoy this. Dokhnani was considered a post-Brahms composer. In other words, he was not as experimental as Bartok. He was more leaning backwards towards the 19th century. And you'll hear that in this piece. I think there are parts of it which, to me, are very reminiscent of Chopin, uh, particularly the Barcarolle and Berceuse. And uh, people who know that music, I think, will agree with that. And the gentle rhythm of it, it's like a Siciliana, that dance in 6-8 time, again, an Italian piece, which is used by also people like Corelli, the Baroque composers, Handel, and even Bach. So it speaks to an older Christmas tradition. And if I may take the liberty... I would like to dedicate this to my father, Imre, who lives in Toronto, and to the memory of my mother, Irene, without whose constant support and sacrifices, I never would have gone into music.
I hope you enjoyed that gem, I think, of Dochnányi, the pastorale, based on the Hungarian Christmas carol, Menbül az Angyal, or The Angel from Heaven Came. It's been my pleasure to share this music with you. I do hope you enjoy it. I do hope you have a chance to listen to it over the holidays, maybe more than once. Thank you to Vincent so much for also organizing this episode in a way where if you just want to listen to one track, you can see the time code and jump to that track at any time. Thank you, Vincent, for being a part of this episode today and for coming out of the shadows. And on behalf of Vancouver Opera, we'd like to wish everybody very happy holidays, a Merry Christmas, wishing you the peace and joy of this holiday season. This has been a really challenging year for us all, but I hope we all have some reflective time to be able to feel gratitude and to find peace and joy. We wish you a very happy 2021. With the vaccine rolling out, we hope that we will have come across the hurdle of this year and climbed that mountain. We look forward to hopefully seeing you in person sometime in 2021. So thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting Vancouver Opera. And we wish you all the joy and peace of this holiday season. Join us next time on January 13th, when we'll be moving to a monthly release. For our first episode of the new year, we'll be joined by celebrated Canadian baritone Brett Poligato. Brett has sung on the most important stages of the world and is also a Grammy Award recipient. We'd love to hear from you if you have any feedback or suggestions for upcoming guests. You can reach us via email at online at vancouveropera.ca. And don't forget to check out this episode's special features on our website at vancouveropera.ca forward slash offstage. This has been Vancouver Opera Offstage. I'm your host, Les Dalla. As always, you can keep up to date with Vancouver Opera at vancouveropera.ca, where you can sign up for our e-newsletter or follow us on social media. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.